what's up, everyone? Uh, welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. We've got Glenn Powell today. Glenn, to say you're having one hell of a year is an understatement, uh, given that you... How is it even possible that you guys outdid the first Top Gun? Uh, our whole family walked out of uh, Lamar or Alamo Draft House uh, in Austin, and we're like, that was on a different freaking level. You guys nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was a hell of a that was a hell of a movie to be a part of. And obviously, you know, working with Cruz, who's like one of my heroes to like just watch how he puts together a movie and how much he cares and how much he puts everything into every moment of trying to entertain the audience. I mean, I I felt like I was making that movie with you're making it with the Navy, you're making it with Tom, you're making it with Joe Kaczynski, who's the director. Every All hands are on deck to make sure that this thing is the coolest movie ever. But the target is so small. I mean, Top Gun's one of my favorite movies of all time, and the fact that it turned out as well as it did, and the way that audiences received it, um, and the amount of people that I've heard uh, that have seen it five, six, seven, eight times. My parents, I think, have seen it 18 times now. Um, it's just, you know, people just love this movie. So it's been, yeah, it's been amazing to, after all that hard work and patience of releasing it to actually, uh, you know, to feel, to feel like it was all worth it. Wait, so I know you guys, how, how long did you delay? I knew you guys delayed because of COVID. Was it one year, two years? We delayed that movie. I think two years. See, uh, the movie was finished in basically when the pandemic hit March, mm-hmm. 2020, we, uh, that is when the movie was wrapped uh, or not wrapped, but locked. So we mm-hmm. saw it right after that. Um, and then, and then, yeah, we released basically May, 2022. So over two years, is that, is that possible? That's insane, man. That, yeah. that, that, that's insane. Well, it, you know, the timing could not be better. Uh, again, yeah, I, I was actually, I was in some tears for that film. Yeah. Uh, it, you guys, you guys nailed it, man. If, if you're not in tears in that movie, um, not only just on a character level in terms of what's happening in the movie, but just on a bigger level of like appreciating, again, like the vets and sort of like that be, that sort of thing being so unapologetically like American, and, you know, and, and just like all of that, like that movie just doesn't apologize for anything. And then also the other thing that I just love about it is it's truly the movies, right? Like it's truly cinema and post pandemic. I felt so many people got emotional because that movie delivers on every side of what it is to be a theatrical experience. And I feel like it was an experience that we felt like may not ever happen again. And the fact that Top Gun really did, in my opinion, save the movies, like I, to be a part of that was just awesome. You, you, I, I had this written down. I wanted your opinion because you know. Going to movies, I remember I used to take my, my my kids when they were little, and we get the big tub of popcorn, and they just yeah. love the experience. And of course, I'm going to see kids' films, which you know I'm yeah. gonna sit through. It's an experience, and it seems like the whole industry has shifted given COVID. But I, I just sitting at home watching films on your TV just does not deliver on the what what movies are supposed to be that that theatrical experience you you just described. Do you think that's going to come back with time? Yeah. Like, you know, and it's even talking to it's so interesting talking to Jerry Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise about these two two legends that have navigated so many different eras of this business. And the thing is, sure, absolutely. It's separating. You're always going to have things for for streaming and you're you know, but but the theatrical experience, there's a certain type of movie um, that is not meant to be seen at home. 
and that people want to get out of their house for. You want to have that collective experience. And for me, that's the kind of movies that got me to move, leave my, the comfort of Austin, Texas, my favorite place on the planet to move out to Hollywood is, is a movie like that, that you can walk into a, a theater with a bunch of strangers, have that collective experience and see things that you'll never, it's a roller coaster ride. It's a, it's a, it's an experience that when you see a movie in the theater, you remember that movie. When I see a movie on streaming, I always appreciate it. I'm always like, Oh, this is really cool. But it doesn't leave that indelible mark like a theatrical movie. And there's something about um, that, that I just find to be something that I'll always strive for is making a movie that uh, you can walk into it, experience Top Gun with strangers, cry with other strangers, high five people after the movie, you know, like Top Gun. That was my favorite thing is Jerry Bruckheimer and I, on the night Top Gun came out, we went around in a bus. He rented a party bus. We went around in a party bus and we watched people finishing Top Gun. And people, it, to watch Jerry Bruckheimer watch Top Gun Maverick was maybe one of the most special moments. A guy that I've like just idolized my whole life. To watch him watch Top Gun Maverick and watch people high five each other and cry and be like, look, yeah, let's go. Like, this is the best experience ever was just such a, um, it's why you do it, you know? And, and it really, when I, the thing that I heard Jerry Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise talk about that entire experience was how, how is this going to affect the audience? How are audiences going to digest this information? How are they going to digest this emotion? How are they going to understand all the stuff? And to watch the godfather, Jerry Bruckheimer, watch an audience consume it, be affected by it and be so thrilled by that whole thing. You just, um, I just really got the best film school of my life working with those guys, you know, you got the NBA, you, you yeah. know, you said something, the movie was a return to almost American cinematic exceptionalism yeah. and everyone did walk out and they're like, you know what? The, the, the chefs sort of puffed out a little bit. Everyone felt good to be an American at a time where we're, we're at yeah. each other's throats. That, that, that's got to be one hell of a feeling to be have been a huge part in that. Well, it's also interesting to just watch how it's like, sure, that movie is just bursting with, a, a, you know, a, American, you know, a, you know, every year it's red, white and blue. At the same time, it's so crazy to watch that movie with the Brits, to watch that movie in every all these other territories. I went to Italy and watched it. I went, and it, and what it what it really reminds you of is like the, we've been watching Marvel movies for so long. You know, you know, it's like and those those movies are great, but it's like it's not movies about real heroes. Right. And it's not movies about people that we recognize. The, you know, the thing that makes a pilot a superhero is just a normal person with exceptional talent and exceptional bravery. That is it. Right. And that is what I find to be really, really cool. It's not somebody that gets, you know, falls in a vat of whatever and gets powers to do whatever, you know. I appreciate the Marvel, all the Marvel stuff in the fact that it's big, it's cinematic, it's fun. They, what they do, they do better than anyone. I also just find that Top Gun is such a, a, a exceptional thing to be a part of because it really is real. Like it's, it's real in, in the fact that we're shooting on real carriers with real bases. The people that are flying us are real Top Gun pilots. Um, it's just, uh, I just, I just feel like that is such a, a, a greater accomplishment than, than anything else, you know? So uh, you did mention you left one, one of the greatest places in the United States, Austin, Texas, where uh, I currently live with my wife while playing, yep. but it was a certain individual that lured you out of Austin at the age of 17 and convinced you to go to, to LA. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that well-known man is Denzel Washington. He gave you some pretty key advice while, while uh, filming the, uh, the Great Debaters. Um, what is that? So 17, I didn't know my head from my freaking ass. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, nobody, that's does. A, nobody does. Unless you're extremely mature. I'm sure there's some out there. That's a bold step, man. What what was going through? Your, well, one, it's the, the chance of a lifetime. But that must have been an overwhelming experience. But you were also under one of the greatest actors of our time, times next to Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington. Absolutely. Man, what was that like? Well, the interesting part is, you know, Denzel laid it out very clearly for me where he was like, nobody can give you a career. And it's true. Like, nobody can just hand you Hollywood and say, hey, you know, kid, go off and do your thing. He's like, his advice was, it's going to be long. Like, it's going to be a long road. It's going to be tough. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you're going to bet on yourself, now is the time to do it. Um, Those victories feel a lot less painful when you're young. You know, as you get older in this town and you have overhead, you have real responsibilities and all these things, you can't really be as reckless when you when you can't feed yourself or house yourself. It's a bad night. It's a bad day. It's maybe a bad month or bad year when you can't house like a, 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 a child. That's a problem. Right. Then you're being irresponsible. So before all that sort of chapter happens, then, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm not worried if I'm homeless or not, you know, like just got to bet on yourself. Um, but Denzel did give me a great piece of advice, um, early on. And, and, and he, (laughs) I ran into him not too long ago and he always, he always remembers. He's like, Hey man, just remember who did this. Um, but, um, but he, he, uh, he gave me this great piece of advice where he said, uh, don't look in the other lanes. You're running your own race. He's like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's a, it's a piece of advice that applies to so many different parts of your life. Because I feel like people can so, get so caught up in the keeping up with the Joneses or what a victory for someone else is uh, a, a less, you know, what's that zero sum mentality where if, if you win, I lose. And it's just not how it is. You're running your own race. You're doing your own thing. And Denzel really knows that he's like, he, you just keep at it. You keep making good movies. You keep making good stuff. And soon enough, all of a sudden you're like, wait, I, I don't know. You know, I'm, 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 this race is getting to be more fun. It's going to be easier. And you realize you're not running against the other people in these other lanes. They're all running their own races and you can all cheer for each other. Um, And Denzel is just, he's a competitive guy, but he's not competitive with other people. He's competitive with himself. It goes to, you know, when you're talking about that, it's almost like comparison is the thief of joy. That, that, yeah, that old analogy is completely true. But so, I mean, so hard for a lot of the, the viewers watching this, so hard for them to do when you're just inundated on social media, watching everyone else's good times. And first off, nobody posts anything bad. My no. wife and I only post when we're, we're lovey-dovey. I don't yeah. post when she's throwing uh, dishes at my head from across exactly. the uh, room, man. Although it's, that would be a pretty good post, I'll be honest with you. You should consider it. It sounds fun. You, you've you've not met my wife. She rules <laughs> this house. Despite our age difference, she rules that house, man. Um, so, you know, you've, you've had a long string of, uh, of successes. You know, I've got to say this. And, you know, Men's Journal, we also own... MJ plus fit, which used to be the old men's fitness. So one of the questions we got from our viewers is like, what were the workouts? Because you had that, that beach scene in, uh, in Top Gun Maverick, man, what were the workouts that you were following? Is that something you routinely follow? What was your regimen to, to, to prep for that? And then what's your daily regimen just to maintain? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was, you know, before you, as soon as I signed on for that movie, that was literally the first call I made. Cause I go, I read the script. I saw the beach, you know, it's a small little thing in the script where it's like they play shirtless football. And I'm like, that's going to be the trailer. There's going to be all that's like that. I gotta, I gotta come ready, especially Hangman. Like you knew that was, 
he's like the most competitive of the group. Like you, he better come ready. Um, and, uh, so I called this place called ultimate performance. I don't know if you've heard of ultimate performance. They're really starting to grow. Um, amazing gym that's all built around results. So their trainers are incentivized by getting their clients to a certain, um, uh, you know, body mass index, right? So the more, the more you lean out and the more in better shape you get, the more they're incentivized. So they're on your, they're on you about what you're eating, when you're working out, when you're taking in water, when you're doing all that stuff. So I was working with the, uh, the head of, uh, of ultimate performance, a guy named Nick Mitchell, who got me in shape for that. Um, and it was, it was a wild experience, but it's the best shape I've ever been in. And there's a movie I'm about to start in February and I'm about to get back in hangman beach shape, uh, uh, with ultimate performance. Yeah. Well, g- give me a sense. Did you know what your body fat, uh, sort of lean muscle mass was when you started yeah. and what you ended up at? I think we were, I think we were somewhere around, was it 15, something like that. Yeah. 15, yep. 16 when we started, which is kind of like a normal, you know, guy who drinks tequila and eats steak. Um, uh, and then I think we were down to six or seven when we shot that. Holy. Like, really, really. Shut the front door. No, like, and they have all the little pinchers and all that stuff. I mean, it was to a point where you cannot, you can't keep six or seven percent. You can hit it. You can hit it for a week. Um, maybe two or something like that. But at a certain point, your body's really eating itself. Uh, so you can, you can keep that up for a bit. And also the best part about it is I was like, I felt great. Uh, like th- their whole thing is building to a moment, right? They know how to do that. So for actors, I refer to a lot of my actor buddies. They know exactly how to get you to that, that moment. And now I just work out with them to maintain. Like I'm not trying to get to that level, but um, like I've been shooting, so I haven't really been all that focused on fitness for the last little bit that's sort of, I'm playing a college professor. So, uh, a little less stress on looking too shredded. That would be kind of weird. But, um, for the one I have coming up, there's a lot of, a lot of focus in that department. So I'm gonna, you know, and then it can also tailor to kind of whatever you want in terms of that's the other fun part is like certain roles require, you know, certain mass, like being lean on this up and they've kind of built around that too, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's fun. It's fun to, to find a groove that you like. And they're also really competitive, um, as am I. So I really like people that know how to push me, you know, and push you like an athlete, you know, because I haven't worked out like this since high school football. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we will have to look it up and we'll have to have them on uh, MJ Plus Fit. We, we'd love to hear their well, one. You bring it up. You know, incentivizing behaviors is the best way to get the outcomes you want. Yeah. That's genius. On, on I think you said the part of uh, Nate Mitchell. So yeah, Nick Mitchell. Yeah, he's he's uh yeah, he, and, and his his mentality about it is very different than any other gym that I've ever seen. Um, and they're really starting to take off. I mean, it's really it's 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 taken fire around the world. So yeah, you should definitely talk to him. He's a fascinating guy, hilarious. Um, but but it's a it's a it's a very cool mentality what they got going on. Right on. No, no, no. I appreciate that. So, you know, earlier I said you were having one of the best years and the, you're, you're capping this year out with a film that I guarantee our entire family will go to much like Top Gun breaking on the, is it the 23rd of November? 23rd is, of November. Yeah. Devotion. So right around Thanksgiving, the movie is Devotion. You play one of the, the biggest badasses, a, a real life Medal of Honor winner. And I don't want to give away the act 
for which he, he wanted. I want people to see this film. Yeah. The reason it's called Devotion is there's no higher form of the demonstration of love he showed for his his brother in arms, um, Jesse Brown, uh, in his, his his act. You've So you read this book about five years ago. We were talking earlier before we hit record here. And you've been trying to push this thing and it's taken you a while. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is everybody's like, well, you're doing two naval aviation movies in a row. And I was like, well, I've been developing devotion for five years. Um, I had a script together. I had producers on board. I had financing the whole thing before Top Gun. So there was a moment in which um, I was actually choosing whether to do Top Gun or Devotion. And I really had to talk to the producers of Devotion and Tom Cruise, who they convinced me like there's room for both of these films. It's not you can only do one. Um, And that's the beautiful part is these movies really do pair so well together. When you look at Top Gun, you look at Devotion, what, what two very different eras of naval aviation, different types of aircraft, very different stories, emotionally you know, different types of movies, but they're just both beautiful um, testaments to our men and women in uniform, but just just very different as, as films. But a lot of the things that I learned from crews on Top Gun, especially the ways in which we shot those planes, would not have been possible if I didn't have that experience on Top Gun. We have those really tiny IMAX cameras, right, that we're able to put all over these planes. And Top Gun, obviously, we're pulling all these planes from like naval bases and things like that. We're flying these $80 million F-18s. On this movie, you know, we're, we're having to pull these planes from around the world. You know, the only people that own Corsairs, Bearcats, Sea Furies, Sky Raiders are, are collectors. So we're having to get these collectors from around the world to give us their aircraft, let us paint them in the Korean War paint, age it, and also get these best um, sort of um, air show pilots to fly these things in a dynamic way that you've never seen on camera before with these crazy camera mounts. So it was a real, it's a real tough job trying to put all this stuff together, but nothing's ever, you haven't had this many Corsairs in one place since the Korean War, which is wild. So it's just, it's been a, it's been a really thrilling, this, this whole experience has been really thrilling, but you know, there's little things like that that you're just like, uh, and I got to talk to this. I got the Medal of Honor, um, uh, Medal of Honor Society gave me the uh, Bob Hope Award um, for some of my work in entertainment and, and portraying, you know, the military. And I met this Korean War veteran who told me they got to see Devotion beforehand. And he said, um, there, he and his family were telling me he had, there are things that he said to them that he's never been able to express until he saw devotion. And he was able to have this amazing conversation with them about his experience over there. And sometimes it takes seeing a movie to give you the context to communicate about things, um, you know, so that the, he's able to go, Oh, see that battle, the battle of chosen reservoir. I was there. Here's what was happening. And they're like, wow, we've never heard these stories. And I don't know. It's just, it's a really special thing when that kind of happens, when you can, you know, have, uh, you get to know your loved ones more through, through a movie. And I agree. It's the perfect Thanksgiving movie. So I appreciate you and your family for going to see it. Oh, we will. So what was it? I mean, you've put a lot of personal capital on the line. You've, you've accepted yeah. a lot of risk for this story between the two main characters, uh, Thomas uh, Hudner and Jesse Brown, what was it about this story that said for 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 Glenn Powell, I, I need to turn this into a movie? What was it about about their story, man? Well, my, my grandfather was a Korean War vet, um, and it was really interesting how I think I was always frustrated. He fought in World War II, but but what he did in the Korean War was way more impactful on his life. You know, uh, 
way more harrowing. Um, and it was, it was interesting because I always felt like kind of slighted on his behalf when people didn't know what the Korean war was. Um, you know what I mean? It just, it really, it's the forgotten war. And, and, and it really was such a bummer that, you know, we honor our veterans, but that sort of thing, like when people are like, Oh, he's a Korean war vet. They're like, okay. You know what I mean? Like it was clear that no, there was no emotional connection to it. Wait, wait, so, for the listeners here, go, go look up the Korean war. Cause the brutality for which it was fought. I mean, we realized that there, this was a war with no end because as China pushed South, it would have turned into a decade long fight. And that's why it ended in a, uh, a ceasefire. And what Absolutely. people don't realize is that uh, North Korea and South Korea, that ceasefire holds today with the, you know, the, the demilitarized yes. zone. Yes. In, in, sorry, I cut you off. No, that's such a good, that's such a good thing to bring up because I went for research, right. In order to number one, Jesse Brown is still over in North Korea. So we're trying to get him home and bury him in Arlington. Um, so I went over to South Korea uh, on behalf of that effort, but also for research for devotion. And we went to some of these battlefields and, and whatnot. What was so interesting, especially when you go on the DMZ, is you see the legacy of the Korean War. People came up thanking. I was with other Korean War veterans, and they were revisiting some of these battle sites, returning to some of these things. And it was so it was so uh, touching. But also, what made me really go, "Wow!" There's it's. The United States, for that, for them, it's the forgotten war. But for the people in, in South Korea, the United States came to their aid and they've never forgotten it because the presence of what that threat was is still existing. It's still on the other side of their border, right? And, and, and South Korea is in the middle of a lot of bullies, right? And so, so what's interesting is what the United States did for, you know, a friend they, they didn't know, but they came to their aid and put their own life on the line. That is one of those things that um, was really impactful for me. Um, so obviously reading the book, that was a huge thing is having that own personal connection to my grandfather. Uh, number two was this amazing story of Tom Hudner and Jesse Brown. Jesse Brown is the first African-American naval aviator, um, a guy that should be on the lips of everybody ever. I mean, he's, he, you know, in terms of the first anything the first African-American naval aviator. And yet I had no idea who he was. I'd never heard his name. And a lot of people in the Navy, it's the same way. And his relationship with Tom Hudner was so unique and special and didn't feel like it bled into any of the tropes that you can sometimes see in, in movies. It was such a unique friendship and one that sort of defined, I think, all the best things about being an American and being you know, a wingman, a friend, and how far are you willing to go for that person? Putting, you know, putting, you know, uh, willing to bleed for a friend, you know what I mean? And I thought that was such a special idea. Um, and then in, the, in addition to that, I just felt like um, it was a movie that had scope, just like how we were talking about with Top Gun. This is a movie that said everything, the best things about humanity, and also told it with the backdrop of a big movie with scope. And that was the thing that I just loved is I go, not only do we have this, the ability to tell this intimate story of friendship, but we have this ability to do it on this massive scale um, in a way that no one's ever seen. So um, it was like all of those things that didn't feel like, didn't feel like they fit in, fit, uh, fit in one box, but was that made it such an amazing opportunity, you know? So you were able to, uh, to meet Jesse's family. Were you able to meet Tom Hudner before he passed away? Or I was able to sit down with Tom Hudner. So on Memorial Day 2017, uh, I sat down with Tom Hudner. He actually ended up passing away a few months later. 
Um, but I got to sit down with Tom. I got to talk to him about what this moment meant to him, about what this relationship meant to him. I, I made a promise to him. I made a promise to his family to tell the story and tell it right. Um, and he passed away a few months later. And then um, at his funeral, I met the entire Brown family. And that's where I really got to sit down with the Brown family and the Hudner family and said, if you guys give me the opportunity to tell the story, um, we'll do it right. And that was the moment that all the pressure, I felt all the pressure. When you look a family in the eyes, both families, the Brown family, the Hudner family, you say, I'm going to tell the story, <laughs> the most important legacy story in your family. And I promise not to mess it up. Um, it's a lot of pressure, especially when, as you know, at Hollywood, there's so many easier ways to mess it up than to get mm -hmm. it right. Um, I felt that pressure every day shooting, shooting, um, on that movie. And I had a picture above my mantle when, when we were shooting in, in Savannah of Tom Hudner getting the medal of honor and a letter that Tom Hudner wrote to me. Um, and, and, uh, and it, it just reminded me every day, put pressure on me every day to just make sure, um, we were doing it right. That's 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 huge. And Tom Hudner, I don't know if I, I want to say put a bullseye on his back, but very much accepted risk to career by, I'd say, crossing sort of racial lines. Is oh, it, I, I, I would I would say that Tom Hudner, the thing that really is so exceptional about that, that guy is he did everything that you're trained not to do. And he did it without thinking. He did it because it was the right thing. And he, and um, he was always a guy that wanted to do the right thing, but was definitely a rules follower, was definitely a guy who colored in the lines his, his entire life. And it was so interesting that this moment, the moment that sort of defined his life and, and this friendship that defined his life, he did it without thinking. It was all instinctual. It was all very human. And that's where I feel like this, um, this story just really lives in a different place. It's not like he was trying to be anything he wasn't. He was just trying to be a good friend. He was just trying to be in the trenches with his, with his, you know, this guy his that, you know, brother in arms. So um, yeah, just really, really, I, I can't wait for people to see this. Cause I really do feel like, again, it says all the right things about friendship and, and allyship. For those listening, go see the film because what, what Glenn and I are referring to, and, and again, I don't want to give this away is so moving with respects to what one human would do for another in terms of putting their life at risk. And, and there is no higher form of love, uh, as you know, to, to lay your uh, life down for your friend, uh, as you've heard. Um, so the movie comes out on the 23rd. We've, uh, we've got that. We'll make sure all the links um, are on the, uh, the webpage. Uh, what other projects, before we, we start wrapping this up, what other projects or passion projects are you working on right now that you can tell us about? Yeah, I, uh, I just wrapped two days ago. Uh, Richard Linklater and I just wrapped a movie together um, called Hitman. I literally, it's so funny, like literally um, two minutes before you and I hopped on, I was on the phone with Rick, um, who's so excited about this movie. He's just so pumped. Um, but it's just, I've known R Richard Linklater since I was 14 years old. We've been, we've, this is our fourth movie together. Um, I just like love the guy, but this movie is so fun. It is a blast. And, um, and yeah, I'm just really excited about it, but it's all based on a true story, uh, from a Texas monthly article. Good. Okay. Well, Glenn, we finished this off in a certain way. We, we get a little vulnerable here, uh, because Hey, the everyday warrior is for all those listeners who are battling something. And we're all battling something. You've been successful in your life. And we believe that success leaves breadcrumbs. And if you learn from enough successful people that shows you the path or at least the right uh, direction. So, 
First question, what has been the biggest or toughest decision of your life? Biggest or toughest decision of my life? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, you know what's really interesting is I know um, I know that does sound silly, but like I know the Denzel Washington thing feels so obvious in hindsight. Yeah. But when when I'd seen the corpses of a lot of uh, people move out to Hollywood to chase their dreams and 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 get totally wrecked and been left without a personality and self confidence and all these things, I was like, I don't want to do it. I'm very close with my family. I love Austin, Texas more than anything. Um, so to make that choice to like actually plunge into a thing that I knew I didn't know anybody in Hollywood, I knew it was going to hurt. Um, again, is even though I knew Denzel, it's not like Denzel and I hang out. Let's, you know, let's be honest. It's not like I'm at his house every weekend for barbecues. Um, you know, he's a guy that has provided me with great mentorship and, 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 uh, clarity on things, but you know, again, no one can do it for you. So there was a bunch of years I've been doing this for over 20 years now. I've been acting since I was 10 years old. Um, and so I'm 34 now. Um, and so I've been at this for a really long time. And I think most of that time has been what most people would define as failure. Um, barely, <laughs> barely able to meeting, you know, even though like even success on like things like hidden figures, you know, like yes. not a lot of people know this, but like hidden figures was an incredible time in my life where it's like I got nominated for an Oscar and whatever. I made $0 on that movie, like, like no money. So, so like you're still, even though success is happening around you, you're dead broke and you're still trying to do all these different things. And it is just funny because doing like expendables and all these things, it's like there, there's a perceived success and then there's actual success. And it is really um, funny how long it takes to actually convert on these things. It takes a really, really long time. Um, so anyway, I just, I just feel like if, if, if you're talking about strife, it's like, just keep pushing through these things. Like, I don't think a lot of people, I don't tend to wallow in failure. I tend to just drop my head and just like work every day. And just, and then when you lift your head up, hopefully the world looks a little brighter. Um, but that's what I would say is like to anyone doing anything tough or anything that you believe in, um, just keeping your, keeping your head down and, and keeping trust in yourself. Um, and keeping trust in the people that actually love you, not the people that just say they love you. Um, cause th th there's a big difference. <laughs> so, you know, you say a lot of people don't make it in Hollywood and we've always heard that, uh, for, from the public view. Why do you think so many people leave Hollywood? Is, is it because they can't accept failure, like repeat failure? They lack resiliency or, or, or what, 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 what is your common diagnosis of why, a lot of people, why people leave? Yeah. Why they give up on their dreams and leave. Um, because it's not up to, it, it, it's not a meritocracy. Uh, first of all, it's like, I feel like I've worked harder than most people that know me. Like they go, okay, Glenn wakes up and he works. Like I wake up and I, I, I grind. Um, however, um, I know the reality is there's a very likely path where this didn't happen. Right. Um, many other permutations of my life in which the, this opportunity would not exist. So that's where I go when people get cocky and when people like start buying into their own hype, I'm like, that'll never happen because I also know that, yes, I work really hard. Yes. I've, I've worked really hard for this moment. However, I'm also aware that there's, it, it's not up to you. There's a lot of other, there's a lot of other things that, that have to fall into place. I think people leave because of the powerlessness of this town, right? My whole thing, the, the reason like devotion, if you look at devotion and developing devotion, the movie I just did with Richard Linklater that I got to write with him and produce with yes. him, the stuff that I have coming up next, my mentality has always been don't have your handout asking for a job, provide the job, come bearing gifts, right? 
and then and then put yourself into it. Figure out how it how it how it could work. But um, I feel like where people get caught up is it it becomes a parasitic environment where they need something from someone else. And if you can bring something to the table, it changes the whole power dynamic of everything. I think as soon as I started producing and putting things together and not working to get an acting job, but just working to employ people, right? Just working to start putting movies together, not necessarily for me to be in, but then the power dynamic completely shifts where you're, you're now an, a value add, right? And, and, and it really did change the way I think people viewed me within this ecosystem as not a guy that ever needed anything from anybody. Is that different in any other industry? No, that whole I think it applies to everything in life. It's, it's, I think it applies to everything in life. If, if you, if you start something and you're committed to it and you, and you, um, and, and, and you, it, that, that's what like when anybody starts a business and I'm like, sure, there's favors that have to be done on the way to a lot of success at the same time. If you start something great, you buy into it and you put all your focus on there. It's amazing. The inertia that starts building around you because very few people, I, you know, would say have the, 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 have the stomach to keep keep going on that aspect. It's, it's, there's a lot of failure on the way to success, right? That's, 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 that's it. Excellence always included a lot of failure is what I like yeah. to say. It's in, yeah. in, for some people, just the taste of failures is just too much for them. Doesn't, it's not a character assassination on them. It, it just shows that, you know, lack of resilience. Um, so everyone has a code. What are those three to, to five attributes or key tenants that have led to the majority of Glenn Powell's uh, success? And I think you've probably already mentioned a few. You said you get up and grind hard every day. But what are those What are those core tenants for you that you try to follow that have been, for the most part, led to a high probability of success? That's such a that's such a great question. And I should actually write these down because I, you know, Book I know we, Glenn Powell. Well, you know, what's interesting is I actually, a lot of these things, um, I do write down. I, I, when, every time I work with an icon, right. I have this thing that I write down called icon wisdom. Um, and it's when I, if I work with like Sylvester Stallone, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, Costner, and it's like, you know, it's like all these icons, I write down a piece of advice, um, from them. Um, I'll tell you one thing that Costner told me that really stuck with me. Um, that, uh, that he basically said the movies you make are the ideas that you believe in, right? The movies you make are your epitaph. You only get to make so many, but those movies are going to outlast you. After you're dead, people will continue watching the movies, um, your movies. So if you make the right movies with the right message, just know that you're, that is the things that you believe in. Those things are going to outlast you, right? And I've really taken that to heart. It's not making movies for the sake of making movies, but trying to make movies that I'd be proud to be my epitaph. Um, I would say in terms of crews, um, one of the things I really learned from crews was being insatiably curious about the world. The reason Tom is Tom Cruise is that guy is interested in everybody except himself. That guy, you talk to Tom, the reason why people like love Tom is he, he comes to every interaction and he's like, finds out about you, finds a thing that he's like, I'm genuinely curious about this thing and we'll soak it up. So Tom is like the most well, most intelligent person you'll ever meet about so many random things because he's constantly curious and soaking up the world. It makes it more interesting to people because he's more interested. Um, and I think his... Um, I mean, his, his, his belief in, in the film business and his, his relentlessness hasn't waned in what 40 years of doing this thing. So that's pretty damn cool to be that 
curious and that excited to get up and work that hard every day. So um, if I can be as like passionate about the film business at Tom's age, I, I will be very happy. That, that's funny you bring up curiosity. It's one of the number one attributes we found in the most high-performing Navy SEALs. It, regardless of how, many time, how much time they had in the SEAL teams, they were always interested in what made people so great with whatever aspect. If somebody was great with a pistol, rifle, with explosives, yep. they would just they would pick their brain to include the way we did things. Oh, if it's tradition, why is it tradition? Is there a better way of doing things? But curiosity was the number one, one of the number one attributes of the high performers in the SEAL teams that we uh, we identified. Um, yeah, you, you brought up Costner. That's the too bad that uh, Taylor Sheridan, who's just crushed Yellowstone. Uh, got called out for being uh, too or anti woke. Is that uh, Yellowstone was too anti woke? But oh, no. yeah, they're they're crushing it. Costner and, and Sheridan are crushing oh, yeah. it. Right yeah, Costner's the man. Costner Costner's great. He um he uh you know he's it's just really interesting. One of my favorite memories I'm making um uh, hidden figures is uh, he invited me to a, a baseball game um, and I got to literally sit. Going to a baseball game with Kevin Costner is one of the greatest things you can do. I mean, talk about the guy who's made the best baseball movies of all time and sitting behind home plate with that guy was like next level. And just getting there, he really took a, a real interest in my career and making sure I did it right. I was like so grateful that he took the time. I couldn't believe it. He's just, he's a really special dude. You, as, you, as you're talking about Costner and Denzel and Sylvester and, and Cruz, it seems like they all have, these just, again, these common attributes common amongst all of them that yeah. again, these high performers. Um, so Glenn, uh, the last question we always ask is when all is said and done. And for you, hopefully that's 60, 70 years from now <laughs> and that time has come and you're, 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 you're going, what do you want your legacy to be? What's, what's Glenn Powell going to be known for when he's no longer, no longer with us? You know, um, that's a, that's a really, that's a really, really great question. And one that, um, you know, again, I think devotion is is such a great example of the type of film. I, you'll never see me happier than when I'm on a film set. Um, it's the job that I, I really feel like I've wanted to do my entire life. It's all I cared about talking about as a kid. I carried a video camera around. And I talked about movies all the time. But the movies that have left a mark on, on, on me is like, I remember walking out of uh, Saving Private Ryan with my dad. I remember seeing Saving Private Ryan. And I remember walking out of that movie being like, that changes the way I view about anybody wearing a uniform and what a special thing that changes the way that I viewed world war two and a bit that experience of not doing something for logical reasons, but doing something for the right reasons. Right. Which is really the, what the military is about. It's like no man left behind. That is not a self-preservation thing. That is not a logical thing, but that is a, uh, it's about based on right. You know what I mean? About what is right to, you know, and, and, and something that defies logic. And I feel like devotion really is my attempt at a saving private Ryan sort of feel where I hope it really does change people's mentality on how they see the people around them. Um, I feel like Top Gun did that. I feel like devotion has the opportunity to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm continuing to try to make movies that hopefully make people feel heroic, uh, make people view the people around them as heroic and um, tell stories that I feel like change the world. Because I really do feel like the thing that Cruz always talked about in Top Gun was that movies, what you can never forget, is a collective emotional experience, right? Everybody around the world views was watching the same movie 
And, and that is a very rare thing that you can distribute on a mass level of feeling, right? And feelings really can change the world and they can view, change your point of view. And if you do it correctly, it can be really highly impactful. So I just hope I can be um, impactful with the ideas I put out in the world. That's it. It's amazing how you, you can dream, you can hope, and whether you realize it or not, I don't come from a military lineage, but it was your previous generation that gave me the curiosity about the military and why people do what they do to, to get me to join. And whether you realize it or not, you are now not pushing, but inspiring another generation to serve our nation for that, man. I, I want to thank you. Uh, Glenn, you have given us some nuggets and I'm going to hold you to it. Icon wisdom. Uh, <laughs> We'll release it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on to that because that is that is a New York Times bestseller, and especially written by you in uh, the way you articulate your leadership and your approach to you know and your passion to to your profession, man. That that's going to be a bestseller. Thank you for joining us today. For the listeners, again, I will keep pushing this. Follow Triple Seven Men's Journal is going to be covering it all of uh, of January as uh, ten special operations soldiers. Try to skydive seven continents in seven days, trying to raise $7 million for Folds of Honor, which provides scholarships for military and first responder families. So please go to 777.givesmart.com, make a donation, help them get to that $7 million. Again, Glenn, thank you. And for all of you, this has been the Men's General Everyday Warrior Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up a new issue of Men's Journal Magazine. Men's Journal Magazine has features on health and fitness, adventure and travel, style, and my favorite, the coolest gear hitting the market today. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.